Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hello and welcome to the Red Box Podcast and the Times. I'm Matt Chorley with this Autumn Statement Special. I'm joined by Lucy Fisher, Senior Political Correspondent for the Times, Labour MP Rachel Reeves and Ryan Shorthouse from the Bright Blue Think Tank. Britain is going to spend an extra £122 billion by 2020, Philip Hammond confirmed. About £60-odd billion of that directly linked to the decision to leave the EU. Philip Hammond said that vote in June will change the course of Britain's history and it seems to have changed the course of Britain's finances as well. Let's start with you, Lucy. What did you make of Philip Hammond's statement overall? What was the overall impression that you got? Just one of gloom, really, as you say, this remarkable figure of £122 billion by 2021 that the government finances will be worse than we thought previously. And there was a sort of gasp that went out across the chamber when he said that debt would peak at 90% of GDP in 2017. It was a gasp uh, almost as loud as when the House learnt that uh, Rotherham has a stately home. <laughs> <laughs> so that was, a, that was a bizarre little... We were promised he wasn't going to do any little policies and little announcements like that, but he announced some extra money for this uh, stately home in Rotherham. Could yes. Slightly out of nowhere. Rachel, what was your take on it? Because it is amazing that it wasn't that long ago George Osborne was still, as we know, back in March when he was still Chancellor, he was still clinging to the idea of a surplus by 2020. I mean, that's just gone flying out of the window. There's now no... I think he said as early as possible or something is now the official line. There's no prospect of a surplus anytime soon. Yes, so I think the fiscal rules that the government have now adopted are similar to those that Ed Miliband and Ed Balls proposed back in 2010. So we are now going to have a surplus as soon as possible in the next parliament, which probably means by about 2025. So huge change, and it means that uh, you know not closing the the deficit in one parliament as Osborne first set out, or in two parliaments as Osborne then set out. So now it's going to look like three parliaments to get rid of the budget deficit, and even I think the the forecasts today possibly quite optimistic. The economy will wow. still be growing <laughs> in every year of this parliament, admittedly not nearly as fast as was previously expected, but uh, growth at the at the lowest, I think, is 1.4% uh, next year, but then above 2% for the rest of the forecast horizon. So, you know, many people are saying that there is a risk that the economy is overheated, that the uncertainty around Brexit, the sharp falls in sterling and the increases in inflation might lead to a recession further down the line. So there's still a, a possibility that these forecasts, both for growth and for the public finances are too optimistic. The OBR's track record on this hasn't been great. I mean, one of the striking things I thought was that, particularly on the borrowing figures, they've revised them from March because they think things are going to be worse. But then there's extra borrowing on top of that as a result of the measures that Philip Hammond has taken, which shows that he, the idea of austerity has sort of gone out of the window. He's spending, he is now borrowing more money than... George Osborne planned to out of choice as well as out of the necessity of what's happening to the economy? Yes, well, so I think that Philip Hammond and the government would argue that in this environment of uncertainty, it makes sense to have a, a slower 
process of closing the, um, the the budget deficit, and I think that's 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 fair enough. And as well as the automatic stabilisers, so the natural increases in uh, spending and reductions in tax revenue, when the economy turns uh, a bit more sour, the government are also ploughing additional resources into the economy. And there is some of that uh, today, definitely, definitely some loosening in policy. But, you know, on things like universal credit, I'm not sure that the government uh, have gone far enough. I mean, there was a lot of talk about them reversing the changes to universal credit. But actually, what we saw was instead of a taper rate of 65%, it's now going to be 63%. So if you're on universal credit, for every pound you earn extra, you get to keep 60, um, 37 pence of it now rather than 35. So it's not uh, a huge amount, there. that is No, it? and it means that you've got a marginal tax rate for the lowest paid, which is higher than for any other group, and three times higher than the marginal tax rate for someone who pays a basic rate of income tax. And that's and, where it flies in the face the idea of trying to get people to take on more hours because every hour they take on they earn more money but they lose loads of the yeah so for every pound they it, yeah. earn they're going to be losing yeah. 63 pence of it and uh, that's not a great incentive to get extra hours and uh, and get a pay rise so I think that's a real missed opportunity because we do need to encourage uh, those uh, on, on low incomes to to work more hours to boost their incomes it's good for them and their families but it's good for the wider economy as well and I so I think that was a missed opportunity today to really help those families who Theresa May spoke about in her conference speech and on the stage of Downing Street that's just about managing families and I, th I think they won't be managing really very much better after the Chancellor's autumn statement today. Ryan what did you make overall but also the uh, the way that the OBR has tried to put a figure on the cost of Brexit I mean the figure is 58.6 billion pounds which they link in the in the many many tables they publish alongside the autumn statement they link that directly to the decision uh, that was taken by voters in June and the process of trying to leave. Yeah I'll come on to that I mean just you know I'm not the politician here representing a political party but you know the taper rate of 63 percent is lower uh, than what it was under the last Labour government. And many people had taper rates which were substantially higher than that. that I that, agree. That's not entirely true, well, uh, Ryan. It is true for a very small number of people there was a higher uh, uh, taper rate, but the, the average taper rates for universal credit are, are much higher. I mean, the, the cuts to universal credit, the most recent cuts, are worth something like £3.8 billion compared to where it was previously. So obviously money is being taken out of the pockets of, of low-income earners. You're right that there were some enamel um, anomalies in the old uh, tax credit system, which is why uh, myself and the Labour Party have supported the move to universal credit. But you, know, you shouldn't really argue that this system is uh, um, less generous than what replaced it. And let's not get too bogged down okay. in what happened no, six years ago. Ahead. We've got, we've been yeah. through several Labour shadow chances in that time. So let's let's concentrate on what was what was what was in it today and looking forward. Yeah, of course. I mean, I agree with Rachel that it would have been better if they targeted the work allowances rather than the taper rate. That would have been a more progressive move. But I think really the overall impression I've got is, you know, Hammond has offered compromise, basically. The fiscal reality and the fiscal hawks uh, on one side of the argument. On the other side is we must do more to support those people who are just about managing, who, um, you know, are fed up with the so-called liberal elite and have had a kind of cry of pain from the Brexit vote. 
and he tried to reconcile between those two arguments. And so you got very kind of compromised positions on universal credit, for example, and even, for example, the overall tone. You know, Brexiteers have said, don't indulge in project fear, Philip Hammond. The threat was made. So he couldn't be too pessimistic, but nor could he be too optimistic because as Rachel said, the borrowing figures are not good, nor are the growth figures, which have been revised down by just upward of 2% because of Brexit into 2021. Another point to make is, you know, a lot of people are saying, what's so different about the May government to uh, the, the Cameron government? Actually, there's been a lot of consistency there. For example, the personal tax allowance, the rise in the upper rate of tax, the 40p bound up to 50 grand. There's been a lot of consistency. And actually, and that's actually, the sort of thing that... If you really wanted to show you on the side of the just managing, giving a tax break to people earning between forty-five and fifty thousand pounds may not be the place that you would start for that. You could have. This is the moment he could have chosen to push that off a bit, or water it down, or say it's only when we've helped people lower down. And he hasn't chosen to do that. They're still carrying on with those tax cuts. Correct. I mean, you know, I recognise the fiscal reality, but you know, there are choices within that, and instead of you know, up raising the personal tax allowance or raising the top rate of tax. He could have done more in the universal credit. He could have raised, for example, the payment in which the threshold for the payment of national insurance by employees. They would have been more targeted progressive moods. But I think my overall point is that there's a lot of consistency here, despite the rhetoric. And actually, really, we're going into very turbulent times for the economy. If you look closely, the economic indicators are not great. And I actually think he could have been more radical, for example, on corporation tax, and he could have been more radical in supporting the just about managing because of the turbulent times ahead. So what do we think overall of him as the chance of first big event at the dispatch box? He made quite a good joke early on about how comparing himself to George Osborne and saying he he would be more adept at putting rabbits out of hats than Boris Johnson was at retrieving uh, balls from the back of the scrum. But actually, there were a few. There weren't many rabbits to get particularly excited about. What did you make of the overall tone and the way he delivered it, Lucy? Well, I think he's been quite cautious, and I think he's been quite canny in the sort of flexibility he's allowed himself. The new uh, fiscal framework uh, he unveiled seems to have been welcomed by economists and cities, for saying it's very reasonable within the you know revised down uh, growth forecast. Um, I think of the big rhetoric about helping the jams, the just about managing classes, um, has possibly been a bit talked up from, you know, sort of, you know, he did say at the beginning, well, I'm not going to, to do rabbits like George did, but just as, you know, Boris didn't, didn't take the, the ball or whatever. I think I'm very much as uh, someone who's renting in London, I'm glad to see uh, letting fees um, cancelled, um, wiped out, abolished. I think that's a good move, obviously. Although it's interesting that um, Gavin Barr, the housing minister, didn't think to delete the tweet that he wrote about eight weeks ago saying this was a terrible idea yes, and we yes. would just push up rents. Yes, that's uh, that's a very good point. Um, and I mean, people are still kind of asking, you know, why he didn't do anything on stamp duty, at least for first time buyers, um, help, helping people to get on onto the ladder. So um, I sort of think that, you know, there's been a, there's been a bit here and there, but n- not that much for just about managing people they went on so much about beforehand. It is interesting. One of the things that struck me was a lot of the stuff that they sort of bundled together in the pre-brief. Actually, if they drizzled that out over a few weeks, it might have built up a bit of a sense of the government doing stuff other than Brexit. And so they sort of bundled it all together. It became bullet points and stories today. I suspect by the end of the week, we'll have forgotten about most of it. I get the impression that Philip Hammond feels he hasn't got much room for manoeuvre because of the state of the public finances, because of the uncertainty in the economy. And 
ultimately the government are going to be judged by uh, people's living standards, how people are feeling, how, they, how optimistic they are feeling, and the, the gimmicks that Lucy spoke about uh, in the end don't deliver. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Those things. So, you know, he could have done things like the air passenger duty and all the rest of it, but in the end they are just gimmicks and they're not ultimately going to make people uh, feel better off. So in, in some ways I think he got the tone about right today, but I think that what you go away with is a sense of the precariousness of the economic situation at the moment, uh, that the government uh, have a very large budget deficit, that the economy is not going to be growing uh, even at the rates we've seen over the, the last few years, and the rates we've seen over the last few years have not exactly delivered uh, big rises in living standards, especially for those uh, at the bottom and the middle end of the income spectrum. Where I think the government could have done more, there are two areas really. I think that, as Ryan said, they could have done more to help those just about managing rather than those uh, higher up in the uh, income spectrum. And of course, the increase in the um, the level at which you start paying the top rate of tax um, up to £50,000 doesn't just help people earning between forty five yeah. and 50000 it helps people earning anything over yeah. uh, that amount. And so 85% of the income tax changes announced today um, benefit the top half of the income distribution and yet it, most people think that it's those at the bottom half of the income distribution who need a bit of extra help at the moment. So I think that's a real missed opportunity. More should have been done on universal credit and less to help those people at the top. The other area where I think it could come back to bite the government is on the National Health Service and social care. And it was quite interesting in the questions to the Chancellor following the autumn statement, including from the chair of the Health Select Committee, the Conservative MP, Sarah Wollaston, many questions about uh, social care budgets and the pressure that's putting on the National Health Service. And, you know, remember a lot of people voted to leave the European Union because there was going to be this extra money, uh, £350 million pounds a, a week, I believe. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, to fund the National Health Service and of course there's no sign of that money coming uh, we know that NHS uh, trusts are under a huge amount of pressure many of them are in deficits we know that local authorities are also under a huge amount of pressure in terms of funding social care which puts more
more pressure on the National Health Service. And there was nothing in the autumn statement today about either National Health Service or social care. And as we go into the winter months, I think that that is perhaps uh, um, something that might come back to bite the government when those uh, winter crises uh, inevitably come. Dare I say it, Rachel, that was a... a far more uh, fluent critique of the autumn statement than the shadow chancellor uh, john mcdonald uh, managed not least because he started off with this morning this morning this morning despite it being well past lunchtime so he doesn't even seem to know what the time of the day is um how did you how did you think john did uh, well, John McDonald, as we know, likes to talk about his breakfast, doesn't he? So maybe he was still <laughs> thinking about that. Uh, I think at times we wondered whether Ed Balls might descend from the uh, roof of the House <laughs> of Commons play, playing a piano, uh, ready to deliver uh, a Labour response, but uh, it was not to be. Uh, look, you know, it is a really difficult job. Uh, I, I supported Ed Balls and many um, budgets and autumn statements. It's a really difficult job to respond either to the budget or to the autumn statement because you don't have the numbers in front of you. You don't know what the government are going to uh, announce. And I, I think at, at one point... Uh, John McDonnell said uh, he welcomed the extra money for the social care budget, but it wasn't enough. Now, it, 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 wasn't, <laughs> it wasn't enough because there wasn't any, uh, <laughs> but, but John McDonnell had generously anticipated that Philip Hammond would at least announce he, some he money. <laughs> uh, he assumed there would be at least something for, for social care. So I think it's a difficult job. And with um, budgets and autumn statements, what I've always found is that they don't unravel when the shadow chancellor or the leader of the opposition makes their uh, initial responses. They unravel in the days and the weeks after when people have a chance to unpick the numbers so uh, I think that that is what will happen with with this budget but but this autumn statement but most of all because of what I've said that I think that the public finances and the economy is in a pretty precarious situation at the moment uh, primarily because of of Brexit and that's certainly the Office for Budget Responsibilities perspective Uh, but also just you know some of the challenges that we we face haven't gone away and and, and as a result um, the, the economy is weaker than really it should be at this stage. Ryan or uh, Lucy, I mean, I think um, Rachel's obviously being very polite about her shadow chancellor. The truth is that the government basically feels it can do what it likes, on, particularly on the economy. Their lead on economic competence in the polls is sort of 40-odd percent or something. There's no, they feel absolutely no pressure from uh, the opposition. You know, as far as voters are concerned, they're the only game in town. These are gloomy figures they'll anticipate mm-hmm. they will have forgotten all about them by the weekend. Yeah, that, I think that's absolutely right. And it was uh, interesting, in a way you'd expect uh, this perhaps, but Philip Hammond sort of referenced David Burroughs, backbench Tory MP, when he unveiled the cut to the taper rate and universal credit, because that's something that the Tory backbencher has been lobbying for. So I think, you know, it shows you the power that, that Tory backbenchers do have, given that the government has a very slim working majority of 14. Um, but no, I don't think it pays any attention to the opposition benches at all. Ryan? Yeah, I, th- I think that's true. And, you know, for example, you know, there were some interesting things in the autumn statement. One was the funding for grammar schools, the new funding for grammar schools. And the evidence against grammar schools is quite compelling. And with a stronger opposition, I think it would have it would have been harder for the government to press ahead with that. They feel that they've probably got more mileage, but let's see what happens in the course of that. Another interesting thing um, which came up was that Hammond mentioned the triple lock on state pensions but then he hinted actually that this would come under review for the next parliament 
And a lot of people been, who've been working on the welfare space have said, actually, it's been, there's been quite a disproportionate focus on working age benefits and pensioners have not been as impacted as much by the cuts. Um, so I think that's a good move. But again, you know, I think these things could have come forward so you could have given more to people on universal credit. Because you only post Brexit, when Philip Hammond came, Chancellor, he talked about a, an economic reset. Well, you only get to reset really at the beginning; otherwise, you're resetting your own point. This was his big moment to for radical change, and he doesn't really seem to have to have gripped that. I think that's right. Yeah, and you know, is he captive or is he just too conservative? I'm not sure, but I think the time that we're in post Brexit, the dark economic kind of clouds which are gathering you know people are frustrated that their living standards are not rising this was a chance to reset economic policy but i think it was too continuity does anybody think there's anything in it that george osborne wouldn't have done if he'd stayed on as post-brexit chancellor it didn't feel to me like there was a great deal rachel i think to be fair to george osborne he did believe in the northern powerhouse and the, the devolution uh, policy and i don't think we got very much of that today I'm apart from a stately home in rotherham <laughs> which is very very welcomed by the people of rotherham in my constituency we had um we had floods awful floods last december and we're still really waiting for um a commitment for funding of the flood defenses and things like that i think were much more on the radar of george osborne than they appear to be uh, with Philip Hammond, uh, that infrastructure investment that we need, particularly in the north of England. There were lots of complaints from Labour colleagues about no mention of um, um, Transpennine Express, which is in desperate need of uh, additional funding, whilst there was mention of of roads and railways in the south of England. So I think that that George Osborne did have a bit more of a focus on that devolution and that that economic potential outside of London and the south east. Philip Hammond uh, said that, um, you know, that the, the growth has been fastest in the northeast and job creation fastest in a different part of the country, as if everything was all well and good in terms of uh, the regional balance of the economy. And, and frankly, it's not. And it would have been nice to hear a bit more from the Chancellor about that. And actually, what if you look over a longer period of time, all that means is that the recovery, such as it is since the recession, has come to those places later. So London enjoyed, London was steaming ahead of those regions earlier on. And now, you know, those other regions which have picked up. What about you, Lucy? Is there anything that you thought that George Osborne wouldn't have done? Well, just picking up on what Rachel said, I think uh, certainly the only 23 billion for this innovation infrastructure fund seems quite a low figure given how that was sort of talked up, the sort of focus now on productivity and improving that in the UK. Uh, and when you do compare that to Labour, I think that is one area perhaps the um, opposition benches could knob with government is, you know, John McDonnell is promising a 350 billion uh, infrastructure national bank fund. So I think, you know, the government's figure is just so much lower. There was at one point, there was 1.3 billion for traffic pinch points, which sounds a bit like that's a few roundabouts <laughs> and extra pull-in areas for when it gets busy, which doesn't strike me as being uh, all that major. Uh, before we finish, let's just quickly touch on the fact that he announced that this is going to be the last ever autumn statement before then telling us it's going to be replaced by a spring statement instead. So the, uh, ne- the budget will be in the autumn. There'll then be a spring statement. But to get to that point, we're going to have two budgets next year. So far from uh, having fewer fiscal events, which is what he appeared to be promising, we're going to have two budgets next year. What did you make of that, Rachel? Good idea, bad idea, pointless idea? 
Well, I think getting rid of the autumn statement isn't necessarily a, a bad idea, but that's not what he ended up doing. That's where he started, but ended up, as you said, Matt, with two budgets next year. And then the year after that, uh, one budget, a spring statement, and in the spring statement, if needed, having a few fiscal measures, if that's what's required at the time. So uh, apart from changing the time of year of the budget uh, and changing the time of the year of the autumn statement, there wasn't really much change. I think it's quite a good thing, actually, in the sense that actually prepares more for the next tax year and gives a kind of six months uh, buy-in time for it, which, you know, allows more preparation, businesses, individuals to plan and Mm. uh, prepare for that. So I, I think it's the right move. It also, of course, allows them a bit more uh, space with Article 50 being a vote by the end of March to let that play out a bit before... Well, I suppose he's still got to do the first budget, but he can reset that pretty quickly afterwards instead of waiting a full 12 months. I hadn't thought of that. For a moment, I'd forgotten about Article 50 and Brexit. <laughs> uh, but we'll soon return to that. Um, well, on that note, thank you all of you for uh, joining us this afternoon. Um, do remember you can uh, read far more about uh, everything that was in the autumn statement at thetimes.co.uk. And obviously in the Times newspaper, do remember to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or on your Android device so it arrives every time um, we do an extra one like this. And while you're there, why not um, leave another one of these really helpful reviews on iTunes? You can sign up to my morning email briefing at thetimes.co.uk forward slash red box email. But for now, from Lucy, Rachel, Ryan and me, it's goodbye. Thank you for downloading. To discover more, head to thetimes.co.uk. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm.